0: everyone, and welcome back to Jeff's Bible Trek. Today, we're going to start looking at some events and psalms to give us a glimpse into David's mind and heart as we go through his life. And we're going to look at the psalms written during key events to give us a glimpse into David's heart and mind, all so we can see how a person after the heart of God views life's circumstances. As mentioned before, the first mention of David is in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. Now, Saul had attacked a Philistine outpost and was told to wait for Samuel to arrive in order to offer a burnt offering. When Samuel didn't show up, at the time Saul thought he should, he panicked and offered the burnt offering himself. That was a definite no-no. It was in this setting that Samuel spoke these words to Saul You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. I'm pausing there because that is an incredible concept to me. That if in one moment of time Saul had chosen to obey, then we might be reading all about the history of Saul. In the, in the Old Testament instead of the history of David. Isn't that amazing? Continuing, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. I find it interesting that Samuel, Samuel used the word appointed as though the appointment had already happened. Past tense and in fact it had. It took a little while, three chapters in fact, before David was actually anointed by Samuel. It took even longer, a dozen years in fact, before he actually ascended the throne. Now I'm I'm compelled to spend a few minutes on this because it often happens that things are spoken into existence in heaven before they are manifested on earth. The reason I bring this up is because some of you may have visions or promises from God, seen or spoken in the past, that you're still waiting to be fulfilled. A picture I had many years ago was that my prayers were filling up a bowl in heaven. And for a long time, that's all I saw was a bowl just sitting there. But there came a time when I saw the bowl being poured out. And the words he whispered into my heart at that time were that in the same way the rain takes a while to get from the clouds to the earth, so the answers to prayers can take a while, but they are on the way. In the intervening chapters between the first mention of David and his actual anointing, a few things occurred, and it just went from bad to worse for Saul. Jonathan attacked a small Philistine outpost and was the spark plug for a major battle victory, but he nearly paid for it with his life because he ate some honey. Now, the issue was it was from a dead carcass, and Jews weren't supposed to touch such a thing. Next, Samuel told Saul to attack the Amalekites and kill everything and everyone. But Saul did not do this, saving some to make sacrifices with. And when Samuel came looking for Saul, he was told that Saul was in another place, setting up a monument to himself. Hmm, that's interesting. And it was in this context that Samuel uttered these famous words. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Remember the monument? (laughs) Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So, in summary, obedience is a wonderful thing. Rebellion is like casting spells. And arrogance is like setting yourself up as an idol. First Samuel 16 contains David's anointing to eventually lead the nation of Israel. Jesse brings in all the oldest, most imposing sons first. But in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, David is brought in eventually, and God says, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. Verse 13 So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. That's interesting. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now, David was a shepherd boy, and as such had a shepherd's heart. So being a man who saw God in everything, it was fitting he should write the shepherd's psalm, or Psalm 23. Since God looks at the heart, what did he see in David's heart? Well, Psalm 23 gives us an idea. So let's go over this one verse at a time. It's only six verses. Verse one, Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. So David took his own attitude toward the sheep under his care, and he and God had a little revelatory moment together in which David understood God as our provider and protector. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brook of bliss. (laughs) Just as David did this for the sheep, he sees God as the one who provides rest and encouragement and comfort for us. That is where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path. And leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. So he saw God as one who provides wholeness, you know, in the same way that David patched up his sheep. That word restore, it's interesting. It means putting back something that had been taken away or stolen. And he saw God as the one who lights the good way for us in the same way that David guided his sheep. Verse 4, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me, for you already have. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. David was constantly vigilant over his sheep, and the sheep were not even aware of it. He was ready to spring into defensive mode with his rod and staff against the enemies of the sheep. So David began to see that God was constantly with him and protecting him, even though he was not aware of it. Verse 5, you become my delicious feast even when my enemies dare to fight. (laughs) I've always envisioned with that part of the verse, David sitting at a picnic table, enjoying a sandwich while encircled by a bunch of angry, frothing soldiers and enemies who want to attack him. But he's just sitting there, enjoying himself peacefully. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my cup overflows. Now, David provided for his sheep, keeping one eye on them and the other eye on the wolves, salivating on the hillside above them. And again, the sheep were not aware. They just enjoyed what the land had to offer them. And he sees God doing the same thing for him. He sees God as the source of his anointing and the one who fills his cup. And finally, verse 6, so why would I fear the future? Only goodness and tender love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. And that's not because of anything David has done, but because of the loving kindness of God. The lesson to be learned from this is the person who is after the heart of God views all of life through the eye of God and his kingdom. We need to see that God is leading us through this life as a shepherd, and that every event along the road can give us yet another nugget of truth about him and his kingdom, we have to be smarter than the sheep. <laughs> While they were unaware of all the shepherds' activity on their behalf, we must be aware of it and respond with love and thankfulness. And then David enters Saul's service in first Samuel sixteen fourteen to twenty three. In the last section of Scripture we ended with first Samuel sixteen thirteen. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. The very next verse says this, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil, or injurious, spirit from the Lord tormented him. The solution suggested by Saul's advisors was to find someone to play a harp whenever Saul was vexed. And lo and behold, David is the one who was brought in, because he was good at it. And also, because he had the Spirit of God with him, his harp playing was anointed, and it made Saul feel better. You know, on a side note, years later, when David assumed the kingship in Jerusalem, he appointed singers to sing constantly at the house of God. I can only imagine what that sounded like, to have a a group of hundreds of men singing, perhaps in four-part harmony, just praising the Lord. And I think this was because he saw what music did for Saul, and he wanted to fill the city with music so everyone could benefit from it. Consequently, David was brought into Saul's service, quote-unquote, or was employed by Saul. But he still lived at home, and he commuted to the palace every day. Now, the point I want to make from this incident is that David was a worshiper and lived in God's presence. I feel this is directly linked to being a person after the heart of God. Thus, his playing was anointed and resulted in God's presence being released outwardly from him and from his playing. Next, we have uh, what is probably one of the most famous chapters in all of the Word of God, and that is the account of David and Goliath. Everything changed when Saul and his army went out to make war with the Philistines as 1 Samuel 17 opens. And once that happened, David went back and forth from home to the war front. You know what happened. The Israelites and the Philistines are spread out in the Valley of Elah. The Philistines sent out this big, gnarly dude. Goliath to taunt the Israelites, and everyone cowers in fear and is afraid to face him. About then, David is sent by his father to the warfront to deliver food to his brothers and see how they're doing. When he arrives in the camp, he hears the taunts of the enemy. And having been prepared by God for this moment by a couple of incidents with a lion and a bear, David volunteers to face Goliath. In the same way, God will prepare us for greater things by providing smaller victories in advance, especially if, we, especially if we are after his heart, in pursuit of his heart, and are open to wherever he may lead us. Well, you know how the account ends. David kills the giant, Israel routs the Philistines, and it becomes a red-letter day in Israel's history. But unfortunately, this all led to Saul's jealousy of David, and we see this in 1 Samuel 18. Because of the events that unfolded in this chapter, immediately after the battle with Goliath and the Philistines, David's life went, as they used to say on ABC Wide World of Sports, from the thrill of victory to the agony of defeat. This chapter is pivotal to the next decade of his life. Four things happened in the first half of this chapter. First, Jonathan makes a covenant with David and becomes one in spirit with him. He gives David his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt, all symbols of the successor to the throne. Saul's plan was for Jonathan to succeed him, and by all appearances, Jonathan now is here for forfeiting the kingship to David. Saul observed this. Secondly, the women came out and sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul heard this. In verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and had left Saul. Saul knew this. In verse 15, It says, when Saul saw how successful he, David, was, he was afraid of him. And from then on, Saul was David's enemy, and he tried to kill him time after time. You know, I think there's a lesson for leaders in this account. If you're a leader, have you ever been in fear of being displaced or replaced Have you ever seen someone come along with more talent than you have? Have you ever felt threatened? Well, Saul should have been glad that he had such a valiant warrior in his army, because it makes him more successful. But he didn't see it that way. There's a lesson for the older generation. If we see youngsters with great zeal, talent, and anointing, what will we do? Will we hinder them? Well, we wouldn't want to find ourselves hindering God, would we? Or should we disciple and mentor them? Hmm, I think we know the answer. Now, let's switch over to David's perspective. He viewed Saul as the Lord's anointed. He went out and fought with great success, not because he wanted to usurp Saul, but because he wanted to strengthen Saul. He wasn't in it for himself. He was in it for the kingdom. These are the traits of a person after the heart of God. So in the the beginning in 1 Samuel 19, Saul issued an order to kill David. Jonathan pleaded with Saul not to kill David because he was supporting Saul. And so Saul relented because Jonathan asked and pleaded. David continued to have success in the field against the Philistines. But then that troublesome spirit from God, now that's a subject all its own, but not now. That troublesome spirit from God came upon Saul, and he tried to drive a, spirit, a spear through David. Now failing that, he sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him in the morning. What was going through David when, David's mind when he saw that? He's peering out through his windows at this angry detachment of henchmen, and what did he do? Did he bite his fingernails down to the quick? Did he wet his pants? No, he picked up his harp and prayerfully wrote a song. Who does that in the face of something like this? Well, he did, and we have the song that he wrote at that moment in time. It's Psalm 59, and I think it bears reading all of it. I'll try to make it interesting. It says in the title, King David's Song of Instruction, composed when Saul set an ambush for him at his home. It's, it's, an, it's an instruction. It's a song of instruction, meaning we can learn something from this. So here's what he wrote in his song. My God, protect me. Keep me safe from all my enemies, for they're coming to kill me. Put me in a high place out of their reach, a place so high that these assassins will never find me. Save me from these murdering men, these bloodthirsty killers. See how they set an ambush for my life. They're fierce men, ready to launch their attack against me. O oh Lord, I'm innocent. Protect me. I've done nothing to deserve this. Yet they are already plotting together to kill me. Arise, Lord, see what they're scheming, and come and meet with me. Awaken, O oh God of Israel, commander of angel armies. Arise to punish these treacherous people who oppose you. Don't go soft on these hardcore killers.'" <laughs> After dark, they came to spy, sneaking around the city, snarling, prowling like a pack of stray dogs in the night, boiling over with rage, shouting out their curses, convinced that they'll never get caught. But you, Lord, break out laughing at their plans, amused by their arrogance, scoffing at their sinful ways. My strength is found when I wait upon you. Watch over me, God, for you are my mountain fortress. You set me on high. The God of passionate love will meet with me. My God will empower me to rise in triumph over my foes. Don't kill them, stagger them all with a vivid display of power and scatter them with your armies of angels. O oh, mighty God, our protector. Use your awesome power to make them wanderers and vagabonds, and then bring them down. They are nothing but proud, cursing liars. They sin in every word they speak, boasting in their blasphemies. May your wrath be kindled to destroy them. Finish them off. Make an end of them in their deeds until they are no more. Let them all know and learn that God is the ruler over Jacob, the God-King over all the earth. Here they come again, prowling, growling like a pack of stray dogs in the city, drifting, devouring, and coming in for the kill. They refuse to sleep until they've eaten their fill. But as for me, your strength shall be my song of joy. At each and every sunrise, my lyrics of your love will fill the air. For you have been my glory fortress, a stronghold in my day of distress. O oh, my strength, I sing with joy your praises. O oh, my stronghold, I sing with joy your song. O oh, my Savior, I sing with joy the lyrics of your faithful love for me. My goodness, you talk about letting God deal with people? David implored God to deal with these men. He couldn't use the detachment of soldiers under his command. Saul had cut him off from them, and now he's trapped in his house. He cries out to God for deliverance and help, and God answered this prayer, because David's wife lowered him down through a window, and he escaped. In those times when we are backed into a corner, let us not be the ones who respond with panic and distress. We need to cry out to God. You know, sometimes we can control the outcome, and sometimes we can't. And in those times when we can't, we need to let God be our defense and our offense. Well, let's pause in God's presence at this point, and we'll rejoin David in our next episode as his flight from Saul begins. Until then, God bless you.